0: Welcome to the Andy Griffin Show. Wake up. With your chance to sound off, give your opinion, and tell us your thoughts. It's on. It's now. It's here. It's the Andy Griffin Show on News Radio 890. 92.5. KDXU. Southern Utah's news talk leader. Hey, welcome to the program. I'm Andy. Nine minutes after nine o'clock, sun is shining brightly. We're headed to 97 today. Yeah, summer is here. And maybe not officially, but uh, unofficially, summer is here. Thanks for uh, tuning in. Got a couple of cool guests on today. We're going to start with uh, a little bit uh, lighter topic here. Uh, We get so serious about taxes and water and you know, politically correctness and stuff. And actually, this kind of sort of has a little bit to do with political correctness. Let me introduce my guest. Matt Zajahowski is with me via the telephone. Matt, how are you?
1: I'm doing great. How are you, Andy?
0: I'm doing great. Thanks for coming on today. Uh, Let's talk about euphemisms a little bit. Now, I, of course, first thing I did was right, I got to look this thing up and see what we're talking about. Uh, according to uh, the dictionary, uh, euphemism is a mild or indirect word or expression substituted for one considered to be too harsh or blunt when referring to something unpleasant or embarrassing. And uh, you did it, you, you put together a pretty cool little study and article on euphemisms, Matt. Tell us a little bit about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, like you said, euphemisms are words that, we're finding that people use every day. So we surveyed Americans just to learn more about how often they're using these. And what we found is, uh, you know, more than nine in ten of the people that we surveyed say they, they use euphemisms, and almost sixty percent say they use them in most, in all of their everyday conversations. So I think that there's a lot of these words that we might not even realize are euphemisms, but they're just so ingrained in our everyday conversations that we're, we're using them all the time, whether or not we realize them or not. Uh, and a very interesting point that we found too is that a lot of people say they'd rather use a euphemism than say what they actually mean directly to someone in a social situation. So 73% of the people that we surveyed say they would prefer to just use a euphemism as opposed to say saying what they mean directly. So. Not only are people using these a lot, they prefer to use them as opposed to being direct with people uh, in social situations. So super, super interesting takeaways.
0: Let's talk uh, Let's talk about what a euphemism is or maybe some examples of a euphemism. Uh, if you got fired, someone might say they got let go. Uh, or uh-huh. maybe if somebody's a little overweight, you might call them uh, husky or a little heavy or something like that. Uh, we use it. Like you said, it, it's almost like we don't. Well, I mean, we don't realize we're doing it, but uh, it's almost like it's slipped into the language as maybe almost the proper word. When I was in journalism school, Matt, uh, we, I, I remembered uh, they, they said hey write a story and they gave us a, a, a bullet points facts that we were supposed to write a story on and in the in the bullet points it said someone had died in a car accident and of course my, my first reaction was I, I wrote uh, so-and-so passed away and my teacher got all over me said you can't use euphemisms in a headline or, or a lead and I was like what's what's a euphemism so yeah it's kind of crept right on in there hasn't it
1: I, I think it totally has, and I think you put some, you know, really good examples in here of things where, you know, I would have, I wouldn't think twice to say, you know, if, if someone passed away as opposed to dying, I w- I wouldn't blink an eye, and, and and I think if you even looked in obituaries, you might you might even see that as well, where it's just become so uh, ingrained in our everyday conversation, we don't even realize that. You know, it's technically incorrect. In in your your journalism, your English teacher is is there, just freaking out and going crazy (laughs) (laughs) that you know you're using this improperly. But uh, I think it's just really become very commonplace in our everyday conversation.
0: What What are the areas? Well, two of the areas, rather, where where you found during your survey and your and your research uh, that we use euphemisms maybe more than other areas, and they have to do with. Uh, the body, bodily functions, and also things having to do with sex—we uh, we tend to not want to say what we're thinking or what we're really what's really happening.
1: Yeah, like you said, those were the two most common ways that people prefer um, to use euphemisms. You know, I think it's, even that's something that we all deal with and have you know experiences with. And there are words that just come across as kind of cringeworthy to people. And maybe they're looking for softer ways, um, you know, to say that death was another one. Um, I think when a feeling, when also describing, you know, someone else's intelligence, that was another uh, <laughs> example that people were very, you know, they didn't want to be direct about this stuff. They kind of wanted to tiptoe around it. So that was kind of another area where people were kind of leaning back on some of these common euphemisms as opposed to, you know, just saying what they mean directly. And maybe some of these these words people just don't like saying them directly so the euphemism feels more comfortable uh, and preferable to a lot of people, I feel like.
0: Yeah, you know, mama taught us not to be rude, right? You don't want, you know, if someone's <laughs> ugly, you don't go, hey, that person's ugly. You might say, well, that, you know, this is a homely young young fellow or, or something like that, <laughs> I, I guess. And, and so uh, I, I don't think, Matt, that we're talking, there's not really anything wrong with using euphemisms, right?
1: Uh, I I don't think so. Again, I think a lot of it, you know, I I would encourage people to be mindful of the situation that they're using them for. Obviously, I think, you know, we all perceive language differently. So some people may be more offended or more high-strung about certain words than others. So I think knowing your audience um, is good. Obviously, I think the way we talk to friends and family members, even colleagues, Can can be different than we might talk to someone, you know, at the grocery store or at a gas station that we don't know. Um, So I think, you know, the audience, who you use your language and these euphemisms around um, matters um, because some people may take offense to it more. But if you know, you know, a close friend or a family member, I think you can, you know, poke fun at them a little more and use some of these other um, awards where they might you know not likely to take offense to it and we ask people too about like the social situations that they're most likely to use euphemisms for uh and like you might expect workplace was number one so i think you know people just spend the most of their day there so that's something where they're going to do it and then in social situations like family events parties weddings and even public places um so like i said a lot of it I think just to be mindful of who you're using it for because it might be more appropriate to use some of these euphemisms at home or on friends and family where, like your boss, you might really want to tiptoe around what you're Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure there. Uh, I wanted to ask you, do you think that uh, political correctness, wokeism uh, has, has played a part in us using that? For, for instance, you might see someone who is uh, of Mexican heritage, and you say, oh, that's a person of color. Isn't that pretty much a euphemism right there?
1: I would say uh, it is, and I think there is some correlation to what you mentioned in there. I think some of these too, like some of these words, if you look at some of the most confusing ones, some of them seem very new to me to kind of like, I don't think we'd be using 10 years ago. And then there's some of these, that I think, you know, I think back to like my parents when I was younger, yeah. even grandparents using some of these words. So I think some of these have, you know, been around forever. And then there's other stuff, like you said, because of political correctness, you know, wokeism or whatever it may be. There, there may be some, some of these newer words that are getting more ingrained to how we use it. But I don't think the idea of using these is particularly new because, like I said, if you look at some of these, it's like I haven't heard of some of these in 20 years. And then some of them are completely brand new to me.
0: One of the most confusing ones you write about in your article is uh, the word frumpy, F-R-U-M-P-Y. That might be one of those you don't really hear that much anymore. But uh, generally speaking, if somebody said, well, that that lady over there is is kind of frumpy, I think, okay, she's wearing maybe some old-fashioned clothes and they're wrinkly and, you know, maybe she doesn't look quite. Uh, dressed for the occasion uh, how how I mean talking about confusing how close am I to what frumpy is supposed to mean
1: I think you're pretty spot on so when we looked at the definition of frumpy it shows up as someone who is old fashioned or unattractive and I think that can definitely fall in line with what you just said so someone like you said who looks a little bit dated <laughs> clothes might be wrinkled um, you know they're just kind of frumpy <laughs> so I think you're very spot on with, with, with your definition. And that was one, too, for me, like I had to Google because you just simply don't hear these words a ton in everyday conversation. So I think some of these ones that show up as the most confusing, yeah, that's going to be something where someone either has to think about or they're going to have to either, I don't know, if people still look up words in a dictionary. I think that's just been replaced by people Googling. Google, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, for better or for worse.
0: Uh, another one I thought was interesting. I, I've been a sportscaster for 30 years. And so when uh, one of the more confusing ones was Monday morning quarterback, I was like, oh, that's interesting because in the sports world, you know, that's someone that criticizes or or maybe second guesses after the fact. And of course, hindsight is always twenty twenty. But that's an interesting little euphemism, a, a Monday morning quarterback.
1: I think it's interesting to people who use it outside of, like you said, the sporting situations. If you're a football fan, I guarantee you've heard this. I mean, I think there's tons of sports columns that are even called like Monday morning quarterbacks that do just that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think when people use it outside of a sporting situation, even though there's a quarterback in the word, so you would figure there would be just some connection that you could put together. You're doing that. But I think that's kind of what that is referring to the people who potentially aren't. Sports because we saw a lot of people, you know, searching for this. And it wasn't just the keyword we were looking for. It was, like, searches for, like, what does, like, meaning of Monday morning counterback or what is Monday morning quarterback. So searches that are showing uh, intent kind of to find an answer as opposed to just, you know, typing in Monday quarterback looking for a sports column. So uh, definitely saw a lot of people looking for the meaning of it. So that, again, as a sports fan, that was surprising to me, but I could see how someone who might not be a sports fan could hear that and be like, uh, I might, might know what that means, but you know, <laughs> yeah. might, might need to do a little more research.
0: One of the other words that uh, comes up, and we talk about confusing euphemisms. So, uh, Matt, I, I'm married to a beautiful woman who's incredibly smart and just this wonderful person, but she is, uh, to use a euphemism, she is frugal. <laughs> she is economical. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, and, and that is a word for, uh, maybe cheap, huh?
1: Yeah. Cheap is how, what we saw economical. I, I'm, I'm surprised that frugal wasn't on there too, because I was recently called by my, my girlfriend actually called me frugal, uh, just because I like a good deal, you know, and she's like, you have the personality of like that old, someone's old grandma who's still, uh, cutting coupons that come in the newspaper. Uh, for doing that, so we, we still use is one this, that I yeah. hear <laughs> um, a lot too, but yeah. Uh,
0: I this morning on the newswire, they they you know we get your regular news stories, but you also get some of these side stories. And I thought this was interesting. It said a national poll said uh, more than half of Americans say this is a compliment, not an insult, and that's being called cheap. I thought that was interesting. Maybe we don't need a euphemism for cheap if it turns out eh, it's okay anyway, right?
1: I I think it's a good thing, too. It's it's very interesting to see when you you see surveys like that, how things that you can potentially see in one circumstance as being, you know, insulting to someone that it could actually be a compliment. And I I, I would actually take it as a compliment as well, too. So that, uh, like you said, that might not be one where we even need a, a euphemism
0: yeah yeah good point I, I you know and cheap i think cheap might have multiple meanings too it, it can mean frugal or economical it, it can also mean uh like i say hey i got a cheap piece of furniture over there you kind of think maybe that piece of furniture is going to fall apart pretty soon right
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely i was last bit. i wanted a cheap, cheap piece of furniture for sure
0: <laughs> now we we uh we talk about uh You know, using euphemisms for sensitive topics. You talked about, you know, uh, maybe things to do with the body or the bathroom, things to do with the, the, uh, you know, sex. Uh, Also, you talked about death a little bit. And one of the euphemisms that maybe is a little bit confusing to people, especially young people who maybe haven't heard the phrase before, that's put to sleep. Or put, if you, yeah, I put my animal, I put my dog to sleep. They may not understand that.
1: Yeah, that, that was the one that came up as the most confusing for death related. And I can kind of see the connection potentially, like you said, to a, a young person who hasn't experienced that or hasn't had to actually make the decision to, to, to put a, a pet go. You know, I, I also think that that's one that can be used in multiple situations. Like when I was looking at thinking about this one, like you might have, you know, you might have a child that hears their uh, parents say, they're like, hey, I have to put your brother down to sleep or something It doesn't mean that they're euthanizing the brother It means it's like, Hey, they just time for them to go to bed. You know, that's something that happens to parents with kids um, every day. So I think that that's one and in some of these on the list that we see that they take can be used and have multiple meetings depending on what the situation is. So I can definitely see how there could be some confusion for this one where there's also some people could be like, this is very straightforward and to the point if someone said that I would hopefully know what they meant. So um like I said, I think a lot of it is important to the situation and the context that you're using some of these. So I can definitely see that um, with put to sleep being a great example of one that uh, is confusing to some, but maybe not confusing to, to all.
0: Here's, here's one we haven't heard. It doesn't seem like you hear anymore, but I, I still use it occasionally. Someone will call for my wife and she's in the restroom or whatever. I'll say, well, she's indisposed at the moment. And I actually had someone say, well, what does that mean? Uh, and I had to kind of explain to them. Uh, what are your thoughts on indisposed?
1: <laughs> I, I I think you you hit the nail on the head that it's not quite. I think it's a little bit more old-fashioned. So some of the younger people, mm-hmm. the younger listeners, may be totally confused by it. Um, I could also I all have also heard it used to just mean someone's not here. So maybe not directly in the restroom, but they're somewhere else. But I but that's the way I was always taught. Uh, when I was growing up is how it meant, you know, that it was in the restroom. But I think, you know, as language and, you know, euphemisms and slang words, you know, language is always evolving. So I think the meanings of some of these obviously can and do change over time, just depending on how people use them, even if that's not the intended meaning. So uh, I think for uh, indisposed is a great example, like I said, that it can be used for to mean in the restroom. And I have also just heard it used to just be someone's out somewhere else as well and that may not have been particularly correct but that's how the person was intending on uh using it so and i think this goes back into uh, another thing that i don't think that we talked we talked about yet but um we found that a lot of people that are using these euphemisms they're using them and they might not fully understand um uh-oh. What, they, what they mean.
0: Uh-huh. Okay. So they're,
1: they're using them, but they're not actually confused. So we found that nearly three in five people say they admit to using these euphemisms, but they might not fully know what it meant, but they're, but they're using it anyway. And I think what that's doing is that's adding to this level of confusion around some of these euphemisms because people are, think they're using them correctly, but they're not. And then someone else hears it and they think that that's what it means. You know, And it's kind of like a game of telephone where it it started as one thing, and then the person at the end of the telephone line thinks it means something completely different. So, <laughs> I, I think that's adding to the confusion that people are just using these, and they're they're still not totally sure what what, what the definition is. So, people are using them incorrectly, uh, knowingly and unknowingly.
0: Last thing we need is to buy grandma some sleeping pills and then tell everybody we put grandma to sleep. That would be um, that would be kind of bad. So <laughs>
1: it would be very. Bad.
0: Any Any big takeaways we got we got to run pretty quick here, Matt, but any big takeaways from this uh, anything that surprised you or anything that you' you're particularly excited about with this study?
1: I think it's just interesting to see how some of this stuff varies regionally. So if you go to the blog post you can see we, we did a map where you can see where is the most common uh, most confusing euphemism each th- in each state so I think you can kind of see there's obviously, you know, geographical differences to languages, how people speak, how people say one word in one part of the country, and it can be totally different, or how they say the same word uh, in another part of the country. So it's just interesting to me to kind of see the different regional trends, how there's some areas where it's really common where there's one euphemism, and, then you know, we see trends that are, are the same nationwide. So it's just it's just very interesting to me to see. And I think, you know, just going back to, like you said, some of the The biggest takeaways that I got from this is that people are using this. They're using it all the time. They're using it in place of things that they'd rather say directly. Mm, And they're also confused. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, we're confused. It's all right. Hey, Matt, thank you for coming on. Matt Matt Zajihowski, Uh you can find his article on Preply dot com. P r e p l y dot com is uh, where you can find and read it. Read all the findings and talk about, or read about some of the stuff we talked about on the program today. Matt, thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: All right, we'll see you later. It is nine twenty seven on KDXU and. Uh, You know, it's it's kind of funny. In journalism class, in journalism school, they tell you to throw the euphemisms out, and it's like, well, wait a minute, can I soften the blow a little bit when I'm writing an article? And they're like, well, you're not supposed to. You're supposed to use as direct words as you can and make your articles as as short as possible. And I was like, that that was school. Then I got into the journalism world, and I had an editor say, I need eight hundred to a thousand words on this story. And I was like, okay. And I go out there, and I find I've got, you know, after five or six hundred words, I'm like, I got nothing left. Should I turn it in, or maybe I'll turn to euphemisms? Mm. Anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, we uh, and thanks again to Matt for coming on the program. Got another guest coming up, and uh, we're going to talk to him right after the weather break about money, 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 money. This guy's written a book about managing your wealth, or Well, trying to get some well so you can manage it. And we'll talk to Joe right after this. Compelling guests, hot topics, the latest news. Always on The Andy Griffin Show. Is there a juicy part in it for me? Right here on News Radio 890. 92.5. KDXU, Southern Utah's news talk leader. Welcome back to the program. I'm Andy. Thank you again to Matt Zadjahowski for uh, the first part of the program, talking a little bit about euphemisms and some of the words we use in place of the words we really should use. Uh, and now I've got another guest uh, with me here on the telephone. And it's interesting. If you look at his name, you could probably say it about 57 different ways. But uh, I asked him personally. And uh, Joe, oh, Joe, it's Saul Seahy. Did I get it?
2: Oh, you did get it, Andy. And oh, it's good. funny, my, my nickname in high school was Sehi, because nobody could pronounce Sehi at all. So. And that's
0: exactly how I would have said it if I hadn't asked you. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, hey, thanks for coming on. You are the author of a new book out called Stacked, uh, Your Super Serious Guide to Modern Man- Money Management. Tell us a little bit, first of all, about the process of writing the book. What made you want to write a book like this?
2: You know, uh, I have a podcast called Stacking Benjamins. It's a very light uh, podcast. You were me- you were mentioning just a couple seconds ago about uh, car talk, and what's funny is, is that uh, our show is kind of like car talk for finance. I feel like there's not enough inroads into the personal finance space. You know, there was a. Andy, there was a, a, a big report that came out a couple of years ago in our space called uh, The Secret Financial Lives of Americans. It's by a group called uh, Nonfiction Research. And in their study, there's a lot of horrible statistics, but the one that really spoke to me was the statistic that of 330-some million people in America, nearly half of them say that they've cried about their money in the last year. They've cried oh, about it. wow. And I just think that we're leaving too many people behind. So I thought we needed something to lighten it up, have some fun, and, and get more people involved in great money management.
0: Yeah, I mean, and you're right. We want to lighten it up. But let's be honest, with gas at 5 bucks a gallon in most places now and grocery, I mean, I, I imagine milk is, last I looked, I think milk was 3 something a gallon and maybe, maybe on its way up as well. Uh, we have to get pretty serious about our money, don't we, Joe? Well, and I, and
2: I think you're 100 percent correct, Andy, and that is the reason why we need to lighten it up because we're so afraid of making mistakes. because mm. to your point, this is that the stakes are high, so I think we've got two choices when it comes to gasoline. can we can either, either last. Or we can cry,
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I was uh, I actually traveled up. We're about 300 miles from Salt Lake. I traveled up to Salt Lake this weekend and back. And on the way back, stopped to fill up the tank. It was 507 a gallon. And I almost cried. Crazy. But then I laughed. Uh, but then I told my wife and she almost cried. And then she laughed as well. And we decided we're not going to Salt Lake anytime <laughs> again soon. So
2: That's the lesson, right? Don't yeah. go to Salt Lake. Yeah. No, I, that's not the lesson.
0: Joe, when I was uh, when I was in college, uh, of course you have all the classes you got to do, you know, algebra two and calculus and all this stuff, and and I took you know some math classes, and then uh, I found out because I'm a journalism major that I can take a class called money personal money management or personal finance instead of calculus, and I thought to myself, hey, this is going to be way easier, and in fact it was an easier class, but I was so impressed with this class because. We got into amateurs, amateurs, I can't even say that word, you know that word, the, the loan process. We got into yeah. uh, budgeting. We got into all the things that have to do with real life and how we can make it through. And I'm guessing, uh, you know, uh, with your book and, and kind of your background, that's where the, one of the areas where I think every American needs to kind of take note and, and, and work a little bit better on, on making it. Well, and it is,
2: and it's about little trips. It, little little things that you do little mm-hmm. tricks that you do that that make these things that are tough easy let me give you an, ex- an example of one really easy one let's say that you decide to either cut your cable or you decide to change your cell phone plan and you save fifty dollars a month a lot of people have done that before a lot of your listeners andy have made that one move and they save fifty bucks yeah. but you know what happens after that they take that money it disappears into their cash flow right next mm-hmm. thing you know you go out to eat a little more or you know the price of gas goes up whatever it might be and it just disappears so here's a little tiny trick that takes this little tiny move and makes it uh, a cool system you now that you've saved the fifty dollars set up an automatic deposit every month of fifty dollars from your paycheck into a savings account most of us have direct deposit through work uh if we if we're listening and we're at home or we work from home uh, or were retired, just just take fifty dollars every month and have it go out of your checking account to a savings account and capture that money. When you do that, that's six hundred dollars a year. That's six thousand dollars every ten years. And so many people tell me, you know, I can't afford Andy to go on a vacation. Well, six thousand dollars is you know, two to three really nice vacations over a 10-year period that you weren't able to take before just by capturing that little $50 move you made one time. It's little tricks like that that really can create some big, big differences over your life.
0: What a great piece of advice. I love that. You know, uh, I think we've all done that. You know, we dropped, uh, we had DirecTV for years and years and years and uh, when they finally said, you know, you know, they do that trick where they say uh, you're going, your rates going to go up, and then you call and they say, well, let me connect you to the retention department. and You do all this anyway. We went through that rigmarole for a decade, and then finally they said, oh, I'm sorry, your rates are just going to go up. And we said, well, we're sorry too because we are no longer your customer. <laughs> and, and you know, and then we signed up for a little bit of Hulu and a little bit of Disney Plus and a little bit of Netflix and found out we were paying almost as much anyway but but we did save a little bit but you are so right in the fact that that money went away really fast because we didn't account for it. we didn't do like you said and 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 make it like a special i mean basically what happened is we dropped direct tv to save money we saved money but it went away and all of a sudden we don't have direct tv anymore
2: yeah went somewhere else and you don't know where where it is you know what's funny when you talk about like Hulu and Netflix, Amazon Prime, all these things. A listener of our show actually gave us a really good idea, Andy, which is instead of signing up for all these different services, what what she likes to do is she goes to all of her friends on social media and says, hey, uh, what are your favorite shows on Netflix? And then she gets Netflix and she watches all those. She binges on those shows <laughs> and then she cancels it. And then she goes and she asks, what are your favorite shows on Disney Plus? And then she goes and she watches all those ones, and she goes to Amazon. So instead of like you know a lot of us that have four or five of these subscriptions at one time, she has one, and she's still watching all the best shows. Like you know, we all want to do.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. Pretty, pretty good idea. I'm not a big TV guy. So, somebody say, "What's your favorite show on Netflix?" I'd be like, uh, "Isn't that a, <laughs> isn't that a movie service?" I don't know. I,
2: <laughs> well, that's that's you know, I don't expect people to be everything. I'm a radio guy, more like you, Andy. So.
0: Tell me a little bit about uh, how we're we're to cope with uh, inflation. Um, I had Senator Mike Lee on the other day, and he said, you know, in the state of Utah, uh, for the exact same goods from one year ago, we're paying $700 more a month for the exact same. We're not getting anything, any bonus. We're not getting extra cheesecake or anything like that for the exact same goods. How do you factor that kind of expense into a budget, uh, Joe?
2: I got to tell you, it is horrible, Andy, isn't it? And and I totally agree that uh, you need a plan now when it comes to inflation. In fact, I was talking to somebody from TransUnion, the credit uh, people just last week about a new study they have out, and on their study they say that inflation is the number one thing people worry about. And in two years ago, they didn't even ask the question on their study because nobody was, you know, nobody yeah. even thought about it. It didn't make the top five, didn't make the top ten, and now it's number one. So, so here's the deal: if you're working you need two things. Number one is you do have to lock down your budget because it's going to be really easy for these increased prices to sneak up on you. And next thing you know, you're taking out just a little bit of credit card debt and then you're taking a consolidation loan and it just snowballs. So to avoid that, you have to lock down your budget. But the other thing you have to do with inflation, with the consumer price index at 8.5%, that means we need to get an 8.5% raise just to stay even. So if people are listening to this and they work for some... Somebody else, they have to go to their boss and they have to think of ways to negotiate a raise that at least equals inflation just so we stay the same. And we actually, in my book, Stacked, I have a couple of, I have a whole chapter on this, um, but a couple of the best ideas from that chapter are. Most of us, when we go in and we ask for a raise, we think about what we need. You know, uh, mama needs new shoes, right? Yeah. <laughs> we think about all the things we need. Don't think about that. Think about the other side of the table, which is what does your boss need? How can you make their life easier? What have you done recently that really helps out the company? The boss doesn't care that, that you need to keep up with 8.5% inflation. Your boss needs to know that you're a valuable part of this team so Always negotiate like you're sitting on their side of the table and you're much more likely to get what you want. And then the second thing is is that when you negotiate, always always realize that your boss might not be the person who has the final say. So instead of it being argumentative, think about a negotiation this way. I'm going to give my boss all the tools that they need so that they can present to their boss Everything about me that makes me look good, so their boss okays the raise. Usually, studies show your boss wants to give you a raise anyway; you just haven't asked. Hmm. So, I think it's a good idea right now to ask.
0: I'd like to think that's true. The boss wants to give me a raise, but uh, I don't know if I believe it or not.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you should go tell the boss that right now, Andy. I, I heard from Joe; you want to, you want to, yeah, yeah, no,
0: yeah. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> we had uh, we had and a good point about the employer and expenses. We had an employee who lived about. 50 miles from here, uh, an employee. And, and he was like, I, Hey, I need a raise because I need more money for gas. And the boss yeah. was like, how does that affect? I mean, it's your, you chose to live there and work here. How does that make me want to give you a raise? And quite frankly, it didn't. And he didn't get one.
2: Yeah. No, Uh, uh cons- you know, and the employee could have said that, but by the same token, the employee also needs to think from your boss's point of view, and and say, hey, but here's here's what I bring to the station that other people that live closer don't. Yeah. Here Here's the things that I can do in the future that I might not be doing now to justify the raise as well.
0: Uh, I had a, uh, got a text. We've been taking. by the way. If you want to text in and ask uh, uh, Joe some questions here, we'd love to hear from you. One of my guests or, or one of my uh, callers says, uh, why would you save? Federal Reserve notes at half a percent when inflation is devaluing your money at such a high rate any thoughts on that
2: no I totally I totally agree you know people think that there's safety in uh, there's there's safety in things like a checking account or a savings account because your principal doesn't go down but but exactly to your caller's point Andy you know if you're getting half a percent inflation's at eight and a half percent you're very safely. Losing eight yeah. percent on your money, oh, and so this this is the time when you really need to think about what's my investing strategy. So, because over long periods of time, the stock market and real estate are the two things that have fairly consistently beaten inflation's butt. You know, it's the price of goods that makes inflation uh go up right the cost of goods go up so investing in those companies that are raising the cost of the goods is the only way to at least stay even i think in inflation so uh yeah that's that stuff you know what i do like though i do like through treasury direct these new notes uh, uh, that are paying almost 10% right now. Now, you can only put $10,000 into them. Uh, I say only, that's a ton of money. Yeah. But, but for some people, heck, if I can get almost 10% with no risk in a, in a government note, I'd really want to do that. The bad news is, I I am limited by the amount I can put in. But the other bad news is you have to leave it in for at least a year. So you don't want to do that with any money that you need for the next year. But, man, for that second-tier emergency fund that I've got sitting out there that I might not need for 12 months, you know, getting getting a government-backed 9-point-something percent is a fantastic deal.
0: All right. Uh, you you okay to take a call real quick? Sure, absolutely. All right. Seth, you're on with Joe. What's up, Seth?
3: Um, I'd like to make a comment and then uh, ask a question. comment is, if we calculated inflation uh, like we used to calculate it, and we count fuel and we count food and we count housing and all of the basics, instead of how many yachts I have <laughs> and how the price of yachts have gone down, the inflation rate is probably double. Seventeen to maybe twenty percent, probably. So, I, so if they ever give me an eight percent number, I fall down laughing because <laughs> I took statistic classes and I can make that number come out anything I choose.
0: Yeah, yeah, good point. Did you have a, qu- a question for Joe?
3: I did. Can you tell me, Joe, what in the Constitution does the Constitution say
2: about money? Hmm. Well, I am not a constitutional expert. I'm a personal finance expert, and it's funny. Even on our podcast, when we get into things about economics, I am, uh, that, is, that is way above my pay grade. I, I like to focus myself. On things that I have control over, and 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 uh, what I can do to make my own personal life better. To do that, I will say this: uh, uh, your comment about inflation, I love that because in the late '90s, the way things were calculated uh, changed. Seth already knows this, by the way, Andy. But, But this is when it all changed. In the late '90s, government changed the way that they look at inflation, and and the number is incredibly bogus and not and not correct uh when we say eight and a half percent inflation the consumer price index and the way it's created just not at all with what's really going on out there so i do like the skepticism when it comes and it also makes me even more fearful of putting money a lot of money into a savings account or a checking account don't get me wrong I need money there for emergencies. I want to make sure that I'm not in the stock market with money that I need in the next six to twelve months, at least, uh, maybe even longer than that. But man, if I need if I need money long term, I gotta have it grow because otherwise, inflation's going to make my money worthless.
3: Let me help you out on the Constitution. It's Article One, Section Ten. In the middle, it says, "No state shall make anything." but gold and silver coin, a tender in payment of debt. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that is really critical. The federal reserve in its phony money policy has created a situation that when they started, the dollar was worth a dollar today. It's worth four or five cents. And so this is catastrophic. And, uh, the wizard of oz points out that the yellow brick road was made out of gold <laughs> and that dorothy's shoes were made out of silver not some phony baloney
0: ruby i thought they were ruby come on seth <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know oh. that
2: makes a good point when we got off the gold standard in the in the late 1960s it certainly changed the game with uh, dollar fluctuation and how to think about how to think about your money, and also realizing that diversification, Andy, I mean, what Seth's talking about is diversification in every sense of the word becomes more important than ever.
0: Mm, yeah, good point. Good point. I wish I'd have bought real estate about five years ago, but I guess I'm probably not the only one. Uh, Joe, i got to get a right. commercial break in here, and uh, we'll have uh, more with Joe. Stacked is his books. His book, you guys need to look it up, and uh, we'll talk about some of the other things Joe has done, and we'll talk about that crazy stock market when we get back.
2: Andy Griffin Show on News Radio 890 92.5 KDXU.
0: Stay tuned for Clay and Buck coming up next. Welcome back. I'm Andy. Thanks for tuning in today. Joe Seahy is with Saul Seahy. I left the Saul part. Out. How about that? I got the hard part and missed the easy part, Joe.
2: <laughs> of course, that's the way we always do it, right?
0: Yeah, I I uh, have you have you found the sport of pickleball yet, by the way? You ever heard of pickleball? I have
2: I, well, I've heard of pickleball, but there's been a lot of talk about pickleball in my life just the past two to three weeks. I feel like.
0: Yeah, I, well, I'm a pickleball aficionado. I'm not, I'm not great, but I'm not bad, and uh, it that that seems to be the way things go in pickleball. You always get those really hard shots, make a great play, and then you get an easy one and hit it into the net. But uh, I guess that's life, right? I've I've heard Andy. That's a heck of a workout, by the way. It is, especially when it's 100 degrees outside like it is here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, talking well, with
2: I'm in I'm in northeast Texas, so it's, it's same more here.
0: Northeast Texas, I'm thinking up there, Texarkana area or, or uh, Dallas. Texarkana, or... nice.
2: Texarkana is exactly where I live. Yes, sir.
0: I'm a son, I'm a native son. I'm a native Texan myself. I grew up down the, on the Gulf Coast down there, so
2: oh, beautiful area.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, All right, Joe, let's, uh, man, the the topic is huge and we only have six or seven minutes left, but I wanted to ask you a little bit about the stock market. It has been a crazy couple of weeks in the stock market. I've seen my 401ks uh, uh, upside down and sideways and roller coastering back and forth. I know diversification is always the key when you're talking about investing, but what, what are we to make of what's going on right now with stocks?
2: Well, the, you know, the the media certainly is feeding us a stream of bad news. We're looking at lots of people in industry: Jamie Dimon at uh, at uh, uh, J P Morgan Chase, uh, Elon Musk, also recently coming out saying that they're worried about uh, worried about the economy. So, stocks generally follow the economy, but they follow a little bit ahead of it. So when we look at what the stock market's done so far and the stock market, certainly to your point, Andy, a lot of people are calling their 401k a 201k now, right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, when, When we, when we look at the stock market, a lot of experts think that a lot of this down is kind of priced in, but regardless, here's the thing. If we don't need the money today and you are somebody who, who needs, 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 needs to build a portfolio and you're, you 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 haven't done what you should have this could be a blessing for you I mean assuming that you're able to continue to put money in certainly an economic downturn is no blessing but my point is is that if you're able to continue to put money in the stock market going down is a good thing because you're able to buy these shares cheaper and if the stock market does what it always does and it's not voodoo it's a reflection of the economy if if we're able to get the economy to continue to chug along, and it has to, if we're going to continue as a country, then certainly uh, you're buying stocks low today. But that's definitely if your goal is 10 years or more out. If your goal is short term, I'm really worried about some of these people, Andy, that left their money in the stock market maybe for too long because things were so good for so long. Yeah. And now they need the money, and they're looking at taking out money that's lost a bunch. Well, there is some good news there, which is that we had such excess returns over the last several years that even with the market down, we're still looking at some really nice returns over seven or eight, the last seven or eight years. So uh, I would what I would do if I have money in the stock market that I need today, I'd take out the minimal amount that I would need and I would try to take out no more because we're running along. In, in usual times, we're running along uh, fairly low numbers. And there's a lot of people think that any economic downturn that may be coming is priced in. And we could see stocks take off. The big news is, though, Andy, as you already know, we don't know where the stock market's headed, right? Oh. We can. I've, 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 I was a financial planner for 16 years. I've been in financial media now for the past 13. I've heard so many prognosticators get this thing wrong. And they always seem to say that things are really bad when things it's time to put money in. And they also say things are wonderful when it's time to actually be taking money out. For me, that's kind of the way I look at it. The time of your biggest opportunity is when everybody else is negative. And the time of your biggest risk is when you're high-fiving yourself because you think you're such a genius (laughs) because your investments are doing so well. That's when things are really probably going to turn sour.
0: I always tell the story of Kmart. Uh, I owned a bunch of Kmart stock. Uh, They went under... Uh, and, and and filed bankruptcy, and and then they reissued, and uh, their reissuance. This, and then we're talking about fifteen years ago or something like that. The, uh, maybe twenty. The, their reissuance went through the roof right away. I mean, a bunch of and my. So my brother called me. He said, "Hey, congratulations! You're probably a millionaire now." And I'm like, uh. No, and he said, "He said, what do you mean? I said, well, I had the original Kmart stock that is now worth point zero 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 one cents. Yeah, cents I did not reinvest it in the new stock, and they don't give it to you for free, so I got nothing. And, uh, yeah, I learned my lesson uh, the hard way on that well, one.
2: Well, boy, and, you know, Seth calling in earlier talking about the getting off the gold standard, and he seemed very frustrated by that. This is what frustrates me is that, you know, companies can can uh, go through this bankruptcy process. they They just wipe out the average guy and then come back a few months later and the mm-hmm. stock takes off. And, yeah, that's a whole different show, though.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We could spend the whole show on that. Um, <laughs> all right. So, so what am I to do? Okay. I, I know number one, uh, first of all, I feel like we're, we're fixed pretty good for retirement. my my wife and I, but uh, because of that class in college, they said, you need to start preparing now. I was in my twenties then, and we started preparing for retirement, but say I get to the point where I am now. I'm 56 years old. A lot of my listeners are my age or older, uh, and I don't have much in the way of retirement. What can I do right now to get things going? We've got, uh, sadly, only about a minute left, Joe.
2: Yeah, yeah. The big thing is is start off with your goals. And this is actually uh, this is a great place to end, Andy, because it's chapter one of my book, which is timeline out your goals, meaning when are you going to need to spend a dollar? If you give every dollar a job, I grew up in farm country and worked in cornfields, and you plant at a certain time and you harvest at a certain time, and investments have timeframes that they work best in. And instead of worrying about all the different investments that are out there, when we know when we're probably going to need the dollar, we we can then research the things. That are best during that quote growing season and invest those seeds into those particular investments. So that's where I would start. When do you need the money? And then look at your portfolio and say, Is my money in the spot that I'm going to need it at? If you do it that way, you're not going to have to worry about markets like we're in right now.
0: Love it. Love it. Thank you so much, Joe, for coming on today. It's been a pleasure. The book is stacked, right?
2: Absolutely. Stacked fact, your super serious guide to money, modern money management, available wherever
0: finer books are sold. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Joe. Joe Saul, see hi. And I'm Andy Griffin. Thanks for listening today. I'll be back tomorrow, 9 o'clock. We'll see you then.